0: Welcome to another episode of Frankly Speaking Sports. I'm your host, Larry Frank, and a happy Monday to you all. You know, it's been a very, very, very crazy weekend. A lot going on in the world, a lot going on in our nation And, you know, I want to first of all make sure, obviously, the topic of the week has to be, unfortunately, the George Floyd situation that is going on and the injustice that was done. And, you know, it's a very difficult, well, I don't know if it's a very difficult topic, but I've been thinking about what do I say? What do I do? How can I make things right? How how can I make people more comfortable? And I'm just trying to figure out other ways. Do I say anything or am I better off saying nothing at all? And, you know, after thinking about it for a couple of days now, I think I would be doing a dissatisfaction if I don't say anything. And first of all, before we even get started on this, You know, as far as George Floyd goes, I want to send all my prayers out to his friends, families, uh, relatives, anybody in any way that has been, you know, affected by this terrible, terrible incident that happened in Minneapolis. And, you know, I am praying that, you know, the people in Minnesota get this right and, you know, do what is necessary to these four offices that were involved. And there is no doubt about the wrong that was done here. And I don't think anybody is questioning that. But we're at a time in our society where this crap should not still be going on. You know, it was, I believe, 50 years ago, um, Martin Luther King's famous speech, Martin Luther King Jr.'s Famous speech that said, I have a dream that one day all of God's children, black men, white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestant and Catholics, will all be able to join hands and sing in the words of the Negroid spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God almighty, I'm free at last. And it is now 50 years later And we're still having issues with this. I do not understand how we can be so, just so foolish and so disrespectful to one another. My goodness, we are all the same. Why is it so difficult for people just to see that it is a color of a skin? There is no difference between a white man and a black man or a white woman a, a white woman and a black woman. We are the same. We are human beings. We are built the same way. This is ridiculous. And I go about and I say to myself, well, Larry, you know, you're not one of these big podcasters that are coming out and, you know, does this huge show that is seen by millions of other people like some of these bigger shows. But I do have a platform. And if I can affect one person to justify what is right and what is wrong, I believe I am doing a good service and you know it just amazes me and we look back in history and all of us at first you know right now everyone's saying larry you know people are looting they're burning and they uh they're doing this destroying it's wrong larry well it is wrong but i understand Even though I do not agree with the burning down of your own home, your own businesses, the looting of people that you know, I do not agree with that, but I understand. Every other platform that is trying to be used to get this message out has not been working. It's like boiling water. You can keep boiling it. And eventually, if you don't turn it off and stop it, it's going to boil over. And that's what's happening right now. There is no justice in what is going on right now in this world. And it's not fair. And, you know, everybody's talking about, you know, Colin Kaepernick does not look bad right now, does he? You know, I don't necessarily agree with Colin about the way he did it because, and I think where the message with Colin was uh, misinterpreted was that it was done there in the National Anthem. And in a country where we really respect our military, it looked like a disrespect towards the military and rather than the message he was trying to get out. And I blame part of that on the NFL. I really do because the NFL had an opportunity to sit down with Colin and say, what's wrong? Explain your message to us. Explain why other people are kneeling rather than just saying, oh, making them look bad because they were doing it during the national anthem. We, we understand that it was a bad look to be doing it and and we perceived it as disrespect towards the military, when we should have rather said, Colin, explain to us, what is bothering you? What are you trying to say? What is your message? And some of this might have been, and some of it might not have been alleviated, but we should have listened. And we didn't. We didn't. And I think, you know, justice needs to be served here. But You know, as far as racism goes, it's a terrible thing. I've said this before. There is no place in our society for racism and penalties should be strict. Not just in professional sports, but hate crimes have to have major consequences so people don't do this again. Here is a man that killed a black man, stuck his knee on his neck, I believe they said for over seven minutes. I'm not sure exactly how many minutes it was, but I know it was over seven minutes. That is murder. That's not third degree murder. That is major murder. And some people will say it should be dealt with the death penalty. That and this is a guy that has had a record before, so there is no justice in this. But as far as racism goes in this world, we need to come together as one. We need to use every single platform, and I challenge everybody out there that has a platform, which everybody has a platform, to utilize that platform. To stop racism in America, and a lot of my co, uh, my peers in this business, in the sports show business, in the sports host business, in the podcast business, and so on and so on, they need to step up to the plate. Okay, I'm going to tell you right now, and I I don't mean this in a bad way, but racism isn't going to stop just because black people say it needs to stop. Our black friends need our help, okay? I have many black friends out there and I would do whatever I have to do for them to make this racism goes away. They need our help. The black people need the white people's help and the white people need the black people's help. We need each other's help. We will never ever conquer racism working apart. This is something that needs to be worked together. And it's not going to stop. It is sickening and nauseating to me to know that somebody can just hate another person because the color of their skin. It is wrong. It is wrong and it is wrong. I can never understand it. I think Goodness and thank God my mom and dad were not racist people. They taught us to grow up and to treat everybody the same exact way. And I am so glad they did. And For these people, and we need to stop this. When we're out there and we hear people talking negatively about another race or another color, you need to disassociate yourself with those people. You need to get away from those people. Those people do not deserve a spot in your life. And together, we need to. There is no doubt about it. Listen to the message here, okay? I understand the looting is wrong. I understand the burning is wrong, but there is a message to be heard. And this is what happens when you get the media showing all this looting and all this burning. They are missing the message. Now the message in America's eyes goes, all these individuals, whether they're white or black, they're looting you know, what are they doing? They're ruining the nation. They're ruining this. No, they have a message and nobody is listening to that message. So they're confining themselves to do whatever is necessary out of frustration to get people to listen. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you whether we got the right leader in the White House right now that would lead them through this because I don't know if I've heard anything all weekend from that leader. So that's a whole nother story for somebody else to discuss. But I wanna say in closing that we need to come together as one. Our black friends, male and female, need our help. They need the white people's help and they deserve the white people's help in this matter. I cannot look at anyone out there, I cannot say it on the air that I know what it is like to be black, because I don't, I have never been black, I will never ever be in their shoes. I can talk to people in my family that I have black relatives. And discuss it with them. I can talk to my friends and discuss it with them, but I still will never understand what it feels like. But together, as one nation, as one unified people, we need to stop separating and stereotyping white people and black people. And we need to stop that immediately. And I Challenge the great casters out there. Let's not talk about people being the great white hope or the great black quarterback or the great black coach. Why can't we just go out there and say they're a great coach? They're a great player. They're a great quarterback. It needs to stop. And starting today, we need to unify ourselves as one. And why the heck we've been having trouble doing this, I I do not know. I always thought of everybody as one. But obviously, there are people in this nation that are still having trouble understanding that this is the year 2020. And I'm sorry, but those people that are prejudiced, that believe in re- racism... We need to start eliminating those people one by one. And I'm not saying you got to kill them, but you need to get them out of your life and disassociate yourself with those people. There is, once again, no place for racism anywhere in this world. We'll be back right after this. And trying to make it happen in your life is not going to happen. A lot of people talk about, I want to be a success. They talk, they talk, they talk, they chatter, but they don't have the commitment. In here, in your heart, a commitment and a drive to make it happen. Yes, if you're not committed 100% and pursue that goal or dream, it will not happen. So it's all up to you to make sure that you have the commitment and you have that drive and desire to want to achieve what you're setting out as your goal. Yes, you can make it happen. You can make that thing become something very successful and get the achievement that you'd like. But it all starts with commitment in the heart. The drive and the desire. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking Sports. I'm your host, Larry Frank. Want to remind you, we're just a couple of moments away from having Tim Brayton, who covers the New York Mets for the Athletics, on, and lots and lots of questions with this Major League proposal. If you haven't heard yesterday, the players came back with a proposal, we'll talk to Tim about that, and we'll talk a little bit later on the show about that as well. Ladies and gentlemen, at this time, it is my great honor and pleasure to introduce to you a gentleman who covers the New York Mets for the athletics. Please welcome Tim Britton. Tim, how are you doing today? I am doing great, Tim, doing great. Hey, Tim, I want to ask you a question right off the bat here. Um, You know, I know Major League Baseball players yesterday came out with a counterproposal to the owners. And at a time where, you know, crazy things, unfortunately, are going on in our nation right now, um, do you look at this as a lot of people are starting to say that baseball is tarnishing its name with this bickering back and forth. What is your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, no one wants to see Fans in general don't want to hear about labor arguments back and forth at any point in time. They just want to enjoy watching the sports they like. Uh, And especially at a time like this, you've got a global pandemic, you've got, obviously, protests around the country now. Uh, This is not the... (laughs) the argument that people want to hear about at this time. Uh, so it's, I, I think baseball has a lot at stake here. Uh, there are obviously hurdles to getting back to play from a, a medical or a health perspective uh, over the next couple of, of weeks and maybe months, uh, but no one wants this sport to be, to be delayed by uh, financial bickering, like you said, uh, between the two sides when, when clearly it is a battle between people making six, seven, eight figures uh, on the player side and owners with with, uh, organizations that are worth billions of
0: dollars. Right. And, you know, this proposal comes down yesterday, and the players have said their proposal included 114 games, I believe, from the end of June to the end of October, two years of expanded playoffs, $100 million of deferred money. Um, But the one that got me was the opt-out for all players if they don't want to play. I mean, and this one gets me a little bit and believe me I've been on the player's side the whole time I I think the owners you know are just very greedy and that's of course just my opinion but I saw this one phrase about opting out and what business in their right mind is going to right now go out there that is reopening and say if you don't want to work this year don't worry come back next year and we'll keep you Yeah
1: so I think part of that is you know players who are in high risk Situations players who might have pre-existing conditions or, or some, some sort of immu- or immunosuppressed in any way or have close family members who are in that situation, they'd be able to opt out and get paid and earn service time. Whereas then, you know, if, if a player who didn't have those conditions, who, who wasn't at an elevated risk for coming back, uh, if, if they didn't want to play, then they would forfeit the money that they would make this year. They would still earn the service time, but they would forfeit uh, earnings. You know, I, I think it speaks to some fears that players have. You know, some people have compared uh, getting baseball back now to, you know, they played during World War II. The difference there is, you know, World War II was happening uh, in the Pacific. It was happening overseas. It wasn't a contagious thing happening in the contiguous United States at the same level. Players playing during that time weren't putting themselves at risk uh, in the way uh, players might be this year. So I, I think I, you know, I understand the impulse for players. Uh, to, to, that maybe some won't want to play, uh, especially if their earnings are cut in any way. But I, I think, you know, in the same vein that the owner's initial proposal was asking for everything the owner's want. the players saw that and said, okay, we're going to have our initial ability everything that we want. Uh, and we'll both start out from our extreme positions and see if we can meet somewhere in the middle.
0: Now, uh, we are talking to Tim Brayton, covers the New York Mets for the Athletics. Tim, let's say the season goes ahead. It starts. Originally... You know, everyone's talking about starting with no fans and, you know, it made the most sense not to start with fans in the stands. But as we get further and further along and these players and owners keep bickering more and more, and as you know, the season being delayed more and more, you're starting to hear a little bit about certain states now opening up the capacity for numbers of fans that are allowed in stadiums. The latest one being Texas, which now says at sporting events for the Houston Astros and the Texas Rangers, that they are allowed to full 25% of the stadium. Do you see possibly that playing an effect now in Major League Baseball and that there might be fans in the stands? Uh, you know, I think one of the interesting dynamics you will see at that
1: point is uh, what happens when, like you said, different areas of the country are more willing to allow fans in the stadium than others? Is it, does Major League Baseball want to have a blanket policy, you know, no fans anywhere unless there are fans everywhere? Or is it willing to go piecemeal and say, okay, if, if Houston and, and Arlington want to host fans, at a certain capacity limit, that's fine. Uh, and then how do you split up the revenue from that? That's, an, uh, that's the conversation the owners have to have within themselves uh, to determine if that's worthwhile. Uh, if they're willing, you know, if you're the owner of the Astros uh, and uh, if you're Jim Crane and you've got to go ahead to allow 25% of fans in, uh, do you want to keep all that gate yourself <laughs> or do you want to be able to, to split part of that with the rest of the league? Uh, that, that's, that's an argument that will probably be had within ownership uh, especially the later we get into this, you know, if if we get into, I think as the, to get later into the summer and, and hopefully things improve uh, physically and, and medically across the country and you get maybe college football games opening up with, uh, with fan base, fans in the stands, you know, again, not full capacity, but some percentage, uh, then, then maybe you see baseball start to move in that direction as well.
0: Now, Tim, before we get into the New York Mets, I want to ask you a question. A lot of these, um, different states like you mentioned, I know like Florida for one and a couple other states, they're opening up their facilities to a certain amount of players. Um, as far as the New York Mets and the New York Yankees go, what's the status up there in New York about them opening up the facilities?
1: Yeah, so, uh, you know, uh, within the last, I think, week or 10 days, uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo in New York said that the state is willing to host a professional sporting event. Uh, and would be willing to open up training facilities, whether it's City Field or Yankee Stadium. Both the Mets and Yankees have said, however, that they would prefer to start their, you know, a a second spring training down in Florida at their spring training facilities. The Mets are in Fort St. Lucie, the Yankees are in Tampa. Neither has said exactly why. Uh, I think the numbers uh, are different in Florida than they are in New York. And, you know, obviously the COVID-19 has hit different areas of the country harder than others. New York is certainly among the hardest hit, if not the hardest hit uh, in, in the U.S., uh, and that's probably playing a factor. And also, you know, it is still easier to train a larger number of players at your spring training facility than at your, your major league facility, which has one field
0: rather than like eight or nine, the way you do it at a, a spring training site. We're talking to Tim Burton, covers the New York Mets for the Athletics. You know, going towards the New York Mets now. Let's go as if there is a season right now. Obviously, the big, big news out of the Mets spring training camp was the going down of Noah Syndergaard with the uh, Tommy John surgery. Um, You know, even with that injury, when you look at this Mets starting pitching staff with Porcella and Watka and DeGrom and Mets... I mean, it's not a bad starting pitching staff, is it?
1: Yeah, you know, this is a team that for the last five or ten years, really going back to the the World Series trip they made in 2015, has been built around its starting pitching staff. Uh, And and even though they lost Zach Wheeler in free agency, they made the trade last July for Marcus Stroman with the idea that he would be able to to fill in for Wheeler once he was gone in free agency. Uh, You know, you've got DeGrom at the top. That's you're starting off in as good a spot as any rotation in baseball. The loss of Syndergaard hurts you a lot behind him uh, as your number two, and it hurts kind of the depth of that rotation. You know, Stroman is, a, I, I think, a pretty good number two starter. But beyond that, Matt, Watt, Waka, and Porcello, uh, you know, Walka and Porcello are each coming off uh, down years for them. But they've been good lately. They've both been all-stars. You know, Porcello won a Cy Young in 2016. Uh, and, and Matt has been a more reliable option uh, you know, health-wise, the last couple of years. You know, early in his career, he was very good when he pitched, but he didn't pitch a whole lot. The last two years, he's been pretty good when he pitches, but he's pitched a lot more consistently. Uh, you know, I think those three guys are kind of number four, number five starters. It was really nice when they were in spring training and they had those five guys along with Syndergaard. You really felt good about the depth they had, one through six. Now it's it's a shortened depth, uh, and you know, if we're, we're trying to pack a lot of games into a short amount of time, if you might need six starters more routinely than you would in a normal season, uh, they might not be in as good shape uh, as they would have been earlier in the year for the kindergarten injury.
0: And that leads right into my next question, Tim, because you made a great point about it's going to be an abbreviated season. Obviously the season, let's just say hypothetically, they're planning on, uh, you know, beginning of July, end of June, these pitches are not going to be, Necessarily go in those five, six, seven, eight innings that they may be accustomed to during the normal July part of the season. So I think a lot of weight at the, I would say at least at the beginning of the year, could it be where a lot of the weight is going to rely on that bullpen? And then maybe later on as the season moves on, you're going to where you usually want to rest more of your arms. Now they're going to be up to the capabilities of pitching longer. Yeah, it'll be an interesting dynamic because, well, like you said, at the start you're not going to be seeing guys go into the games as we're used to. You know,
1: it's it's this break has been difficult for uh, well, difficult for everyone. It, within baseball, it's especially hard, I think, on pitchers because you know they were ramping up, and the, the reason spring training is six and a half weeks long, if, if normally, is because pitchers need to go from zero to being ready to to, to throw seven innings on opening day. Uh, starting pitchers. Uh, And now that 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 routine has been kind of halved and they've got to kind of stay kind of ready, but also they don't want to absorb too much this time of year because they don't know when the sport is coming back. It's been really uncertain for them. And so I think we'll see when, you know, you have another two-and-a-half to three-week spring training, you go into a season, starting pitch will probably be going, you know, maybe four or five innings the first time or two through the rotation and be relying on your bullpen. You'll have fewer off days, really regardless. You know, you look at the two proposals, the owner's proposal is, I think, 82 games in 90 days. The, the player's proposal is 114 games in 124 days. There's not a lot of days off built into that, either of those schedules. Um, so, you know, you're going to be relying on your, your depth, especially at that point in the season. But then you're, you're right, when you get to the end of the year, you know, a lot of times you're talking about pitchers who have thrown for, for seven months into the postseason and they're reaching their, their 240th, 250th inning of the year really wears on you. I know know Porcello is a guy who's been in the playoffs a lot and has talked about, you know, you throw you you count on on throwing 200 innings in the season and then you throw 230 because you were in the playoffs. That takes its toll on you the next season. You you don't pitch as well at the end of the season either. Uh, So you'll have guys kind of hitting their stride in October or November, whenever the playoffs happen. And maybe you can lean on your star pitcher uh, a way that teams always talk to, but not necessarily can. Uh, that time of year, see the kind of the Madison
0: Bumgarner type postseason from your best pitchers, if that's the case. Now, how competitive can this lineup be one through eight with all the other teams in the major leagues?
1: Yeah, I, I think this is as good uh, an offensive of lineup as the Mets have had in some time. Obviously, the last year and a half, the emergences of, of Pete Alonso and Jeff McNeil, you know, in, in June of 2018, uh, these two guys were in AAA. Uh, they, you know, beginning of 2018, they're both in double a. Uh And now they're Major League All Stars and kind of centerpieces of this offense moving forward uh, for different reasons. Alfonso, obviously, the power coming off a 53 homer season. McNeil's hit over 320 in his first year and a half in the Major League. Uh, so th- so those two are kind of the, the central pieces in that, that lineup. And then you fill it around them. You've got Michael Conforto, who had a 30 home run season last year. You've got Brandon Nimmo, who had a 400 on base percentage in 2018 before suffering an injury that knocked him out a lot of 2019 pieces around these guys to have a deeper lineup than they've had in quite some time. You know, even the, the 2015 team that went to the World Series, certainly the offense didn't look this way at the start of the season, uh, and, and even at the end of the year, That that's, you know, after getting U.N. assessment, that's when the lineup looked a bit deeper, and assessment as if there is uh, a universal designated hitter, which I think most people assume there will be this year, becomes a potential factor in a way that he would.
0: Now, obviously, with Beltron gone, they decided to go with Luis Rojas. Um, he's been around the Mets organization for a long time. He's highly regarded. What type of individual, what type of coach are these players getting in him?
1: And, and Luis Rojas was a candidate at the time that they hired Beltron. Uh, I think you know, Beltron was a bigger name, a guy who had kind of instant credibility with with the players and and in, with the fan base because of his time in New York uh, credibility. That that maybe he lost because of of everything that came out about his role in the Astros Science stealing scandal. Uh, with, with Rojas, he's a guy who's got managerial experience. He's been in the managing the minor leagues for a decade uh, in the Mets organization. So he's managed. You know, if you're looking at the, the guys who would be on the best active roster this year, at least half of them have been managed by Luis Rojas before. Uh, he's got a kind of a calm, steadying presence. Uh, I've heard from players though that he knows when to when to amp it up a little bit for you. Uh, so you know, it, it's always really going to be difficult when your your first major league season as a manager was going to be difficult for, for Beltron if that were the case. I think the biggest step for Rojas will be dealing with. Uh, a media crunch, and certainly it will be a different type of media crunch this year than it would be in a normal year. But when he was hired, I talked to some guys uh, who had had similar kind of resume You know, Brady Little has often had forever been a, a long time minor league manager gets the job in Boston. And you know, I, you're not in the minor leagues; you're not having every decision you make analyzed and evaluated by eight different writers uh, after the game. You have to have a reason for everything. And that's the biggest change about being a major league manager. Uh, And I I think Rojas, you know, his his father was Felipe Alou, a longtime manager with the Expos and Giants. I think he's been groomed for this for a while. And I I think he's in a a good spot, you know, if we do get baseball this year, uh, to, to make an
0: impact. Yeah, and you know, it feels like to me probably since David Wright has been gone, and I'm talking about the last couple of years, even when he wasn't playing, but he was still a member of the team, the Mets had a void. They had that void in some leadership presence on that team. And now when you look at this guy, Pete Alonzo, amazing year, I mean, an unbelievable year just to watch last year. Talk about how special this guy is and what your expectation is for him going further.
1: Yeah, I mean, man, I think anyone who watches baseball can see how special he is on the field. The, the, the power is... Is ridiculous. Uh, you know, I, I think some people will take away from the, the 53 home runs he hit last year and say, well, the ball was different. Everyone hit a lot more home runs. <laughs> but you watch Alonzo <laughs> and his home runs are not the kind that are sneaking over the fence. Uh, he hit some of the longest home runs I've ever seen. But I, I think in addition to that, you know, there are guys who have just power. We saw more of an approach from him. I mean, even early in the season, there was kind of more of an advanced two-strike plate approach at various junctures uh, that impressed impress you about a rookie. You don't see that all the time from a guy just coming up, especially one known more for how far he hits the ball. And then I think off the field, you get really a sense of, uh, we say it all the time as writers or when I'm doing my own podcast, that Pete Alonso gets it. He's a guy who understands what his role can be as a a big-time baseball player in the city of New York. Uh, He embraces being uh, a New York mess, which not everyone always does uh, in this city. And uh, he you knows he's trying to use his platform in a positive fashion, and that's really refreshing. Really nice to see. Uh, you, you know, you never know how long that lasts. Guys, can get tired of that. Uh, it is it's training to do that as a as a, as a player. Uh, but for now, and, and the first couple of years of his career, it's, it's been really impressive to, to watch up close. Uh, he's one of the, the nicest and most fun guys on the team to talk to, uh, and and just hope that that
0: continues moving forward. We're talking to Tim Brant. He covers the Mets for the Athletics. Just a couple more questions, and we'll let you run here, Tim. Um, For those people this year that are going to be watching the New York Mets, um, who is the one player that comes to your mind that people should really look out for this year? I I think if you
1: want to know kind of a – an X factor for how for, for who might determine how good the Mets are this year. I think it's probably Ahmed Rosario at shortstop. This is a guy who, when he came up uh, in the middle of the 2017 season, was generally regarded as one of the top five prospects of the game. You know, when he was uh, a shortstop in the Eastern League, he was he was compared favorably to Francisco Lindor, who has really taken off with the Indians since being in the major league. Rosario has been a more of a struggle at the major league level. He's struggled with his strike zone command. Uh, he, he struggled with just his overall offense numbers. Uh, and last year, he really struggled defensively in the field, especially at the start of the year, uh, to the point where they were considering moving him offshore, thought maybe putting him in the outfield. Uh, but the last three-and-a-half, four months of last season, the average was over 300. His OPS was over 800. Uh, his defense steadied. It wasn't it wasn't great, but it was about league average from, from mid-May on. Uh, so you started to see uh, the, the – Potential feeling that he has as a player, uh, a, a guy who can be an offensive force at a premium position, uh, that's, that's, that's a really valuable thing to have. This is a guy who, when he was coming into the major leagues, people thought he might be an MVP candidate someday. And while I'm, I'm not willing to put that on him right now, you can start to see why he can make an impact in so many different phases of the game uh, during the that second half of last season. So if he's able to carry that over, this is a guy who's probably slated to hit eighth in the line. I guess ninth if you've got a DH uh, in the lineup coming into the season. But if he, he puts together the, the season he was having in the second half last year over a full year, well, that's that's really a, a guy who can be really valuable for you and, and have kind of a bigger breakout potential than maybe anyone else on this roster.
0: Now, Tim, you mentioned the DH, and I'm glad you did. Uh as everybody knows, the DH may be and it looks like it will be implemented this year in both leagues. This helps the Mets, don't it? Yeah, you know, as I
1: wrote about them, the Mets seem like they've been preparing for this moment for years because they've had so many guys on their team who would being pretty good DHs. It's just that they're not great in the field. You know, Seth Mines is kind of the main guy right now because of the physical toll that he's had over the last couple of years. You know, surgeries on both fields, surgeries on an ankle. Since he last played in the game in July of 2018. So in spring training, we got to you know, you saw him taking like, taking live cuts, taking you know, live batting practice, and looking pretty good, looking a lot like his old self. Uh, so the question was always going to be, can he actually play left field on a regular basis? Uh, we didn't get a chance to see him out there. Uh, that first part of spring training. Now, if if he just has to go to the plate. Uh, that's he's got a much bigger, much better chance of being uh, a, a productive player for them this year. And even if it doesn't work out for him, he's got other guys behind him. J.D. Davis is a guy who, who's kind of got a DH profile, a, band, you know, a, a professional at-bat, without really a home in the field. They, they talk about playing in the left field. Uh, Dominic Smith uh, is kind of the same way. So you know, He can play first base, so maybe you put Smith at first, uh, where he's a strong defensive player, and you can DH Alonzo on some days. Uh, Robinson Cano and Jeff Lowry are two uh, infielders in there on the, the wrong side of 35. Uh, Lowry is coming off to his own knee issues. Uh, maybe those are guys who can get some DHF bats, not on, maybe not every day basis, but guys you give some time off to in the field. Uh, so they, they've got plenty of options uh, to go to if they wanted to uh, in that role. Maybe probably more than your average National League team uh, these days.
0: All right, Tim, last question. Does this team have enough to contend?
1: Yeah. You know, I, I think I mean, let's say you're asking me this question on, on February 10th, when I'm going down to the original spring training. I would have said, yes, I think they were a team that probably would have been right in line. You know, I, I don't think they're as good as Atlanta in the national league. East. I think the center guard injury probably takes them behind Washington, uh, in the NL East, and maybe just a little bit ahead of Philadelphia, but, uh, I would have thought this was a team that over the course of 162, could have won about 86, 87, 88 games. Uh, Syndergaard injury takes it a little lower than that. Uh, but, you know, it would be right in there for the, the, the first or second wild card in the National League. Now that we're talking about the possibility of expanded playoffs, that does seem to be one thing that owners and players do agree on, the idea of maybe having seven playoff teams per league rather than five. Uh, I think the Mets would be a team that, that really uh, – capitalizes on that. They're a team that's right there in that fifth, sixth, seventh spot in the National League. Uh, I think just talent-wise looking uh, at the start of whatever season we have here. But I think they're a team that really should make the playoffs uh, if it is a 7-17 field. Uh, I think it'd be a disappointment for the fan base and for the front office uh, if they weren't able to get in that top half of the National League.
0: All right, Tim, we want to thank you so much for joining us today on Frankly Speaking Sports. I really, really enjoyed having you, and I do appreciate it.
1: Well, anytime. Thank you.
0: All right, Tim, be safe.
1: You too. Thanks a
0: lot. That was Tim Britton. He covers the New York Mets for the athletics. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking Sports. I want to remind you all, uh, you can join the fastest growing Facebook group and get all of our podcasts, all of our interviews right on that Facebook group page. It's called Frankly Speaking Sports. If you're not a member yet, join. If you have friends, relatives uh, that are interested in the most updated sports news and some great, great interviews, have them join as well. Also, I want to remind you, you can follow us on Twitter. At Larry Frankis, that's with the U.S. at the end. If you have a Twitter account, go ahead and follow it. And then let's not forget our newest channel, our YouTube channel called Frankly Speaking Sports. Guys, this is terrific. You can go to YouTube, go to our sports channel. Like I said, Frankly Speaking Sports. You go ahead and you subscribe. It's free. And for free, you get all of our podcast going forward, as well as all the interviews that we do. So some great, great interviews, some great, great sports information, some great, great sports news, all for free. So you definitely want to go ahead and join that. Also, you can watch in front of your TV. Yeah, if you have a smart TV, you just go to YouTube, you type in Frankly Speaking Sports, you'll see a picture of all our interviews all our podcasts, you can sit in front of your TV and listen to the audio through your TV of Frankly Speaking Sports podcasts and interviews. Incredible way to live, folks. Um, you know, I thought it was a great conversation, as I always do with all my guests, with Tim Brayton, who covers the New York Mets for the athletics. And you know, he talked. we talked about the proposal, among a lot of other things, and You know, like I said, the only, the Major League Baseball owners are going to have trouble. They don't want, for some reason, a 114-game season for whatever reason it is. They want an 80-game schedule. Number two, they want to defer contracts. Of course they do. I mean, I'm sorry, they want to have prorated contracts based on the amount of games they play. So... You know, it's going to be a tough. They haven't rejected the offer yet. The only thing I really don't like what the player said, and I mentioned it to Tim during our interview with him when he was on the show, is about this opt-out for all players if they don't want to play. Now, let let me explain this to you. If a player has a certain scenario where they are more receptive to contract the virus... That I understand. If they have somebody home who has contracted the virus and needs their uh, you know, support as far as being there, that I understand. That is completely different. There's a difference between not wanting to play and not being able to play. In those cases, not being able to play because you have a certain situation, like a respiratory issue with asthma or something that you're more susceptible to get this illness that is going around in COVID-19. But for players just to decide, ah, I don't want to play, I don't think they should be allowed back in the league. I, I but And once again, I'm on the player's side. But what business can you say without one of those exceptional cases that I just talked about, can you go in every day and just say, hey, I don't plan on working here. I won't come back to next week or next year. No, we'll get other players to fill your spot. But once again, I do want to emphasize: if there is a situation where you have somebody in your family that has contracted the illness, and you know you want to be near their side while they go through it, or a situation where you're opening it up to a greater risk because of uh, you know, health situation that you may have had in the past—that I completely understand, and I can understand you not wanting to play. But just not playing for the sake of playing—I—I I, I don't believe in that. I—I I just don't believe in that. Now, yesterday there was some sports news. Um, we had NASCAR. If you didn't see it, it—it it ended up being a terrific race down to the wire, and it ended up with uh, Brad Kozlowski, uh, winning the race, uh, he came in first place, and the top five ended up Boyer, Johnson, Bush, and Jones, so those were the top five, and if you look down, I'm going to look down and see, um, some of the notables, Dylan was sixth, the other Bush was seventh, Harwick, uh, finished 11th, which I think Might have been his worst finish so far this year. I mean, since the return of NASCAR. Niemicek was 13, Newman 15th. Uh, Matt Kenseth was 16th, Hamlin 17th. Then you see Truex on 20th, Logano 21. Uh, I'm looking to see, you know... Unfortunately, Reddick did not finish the race. He's the guy I've been very high on, the rookie that has had a tremendous run the uh, first couple of races here. Um, but, you know, Blaney and Bowman didn't finish. So, otherwise, I just wanted to make sure we did mention that um, the race yesterday was at Bristol Motor Speedway. And, you know, I had trouble watching that race. I'll tell you why. I am not a short track fan. I have never been nothing against it and I know there's a lot a lot of skill involved in short track racing but I'm more for the Talladegas uh you know the Darlingtons the uh Daytona's where the racing is wide open and you can go a lot faster it just seems more like racing to me but um otherwise uh, you know it was a great race yesterday and we like to go ahead and Congratulate Brad, uh, Brad Kozlowski for winning another another race. I want to remind all of you that if you have any comments, concerns, or topics you want to talk about, about any of the things we discussed earlier in this program, any things we'll discuss in the future, or that you would like us to discuss in the future, you can go to franklyspeaking528 at gmail.com. But if you want to even make it easier, there's easier ways. You can leave a message right at the end of this podcast. It's a voice message. I'll get it. We'll use it on our next episode of Frankly Speaking Sports. And I know we just mentioned recently about our Facebook uh, page, Frankly Speaking Sports. You can leave a message there as well as on our YouTube channel at Frankly Speaking Sports and at our Twitter account. At Larry Frankis, and I encourage all of you. You know, even if you're a member of our Facebook group, Frankly Speaking Sports, which is growing at a rapid rate, join our other venues too. Just amazing stuff on YouTube. It's free. You subscribe. Uh, Amazing stuff. We retweet a lot of stuff on our Twitter uh, feed. So when we get information from the great Adam Schefter or Adam Wojnarowski or Buster, Only, or Jay Glazer, or Tom Pelissaro, all these guys, we go ahead and, you know, if we think it's important information, which not that it isn't, everything they do is important, but, you know, that is needed for you to know, we retweet it back out, as well as put it on our Facebook page. So, please join all our different venues. We'd love to have you. Invite your friends. We want to keep growing. We want to keep making a difference in this world. And anything we can do to help you out, uh, and no matter what the situation is, because there are a lot of difficulties, as we know, and as we spoke about earlier, going on in this world right now, and a lot of wrong things going on as well. You know, we want to be able to share that. We have a platform that we are able to use And remember, it only takes, you know, it takes a whole world to go ahead and change things, but it has to start with the number one, has to start with you, has to start with me, and then we have to continue to pass that on. And at Frankly Speaking Sports, we support everyone. We don't care what the color of your skin is. We don't care what your ethnic background is. We don't care what your religion is. We talk about sports. If you like sports, this is a channel for you. Doesn't matter where you come from or who you are. And we want to make sure that's very clear. I want to thank you all so very much For joining us today tomorrow we have another great guest actually we are booked all throughout the week this week um with certain guests with from the california angels to the orlando magic uh we are just booked 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 i think we have an nhl representative coming on And as we can, if we can get two people a day on, we'll try to get two people a day on so we can continue during a time where there's not really a lot of sports going on, except maybe NASCAR, maybe UCF once in a while, we're still able to bring you some great, great interviews. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, thank you so much for joining us. And we look forward to seeing you again tomorrow on Frankly Speaking Sports.